as we continue our discussion of power, I want to take it out of the realm of spontaneous occurrences that may be used by whomever to say whatever. I want to speak about the more orderly understanding of power. Because power underlies every culture that exists. Power does not exist to authenticate anybody doing anything they want to or saying anything they want to. Not unless you are the source of that power. Then you can do whatever you want to, say whatever you want to. But whenever power exists, there is the existence of a kingdom. And with that kingdom, there is an entire cultural uh, framework for which power is the calling card. It is impossible to systemically exercise the power of the kingdom of heaven without any knowledge of the kingdom itself. It is impossible to be a representation of a power you do not understand. We saw from the first message that within the kingdom of heaven, the delegations of power as between the Father and the Son, and ultimately to us, is rooted in the most intimate of relationships. The Father is in me. I am in the Father, Jesus said. Let them be one in us, as it refers to us. And then I I spoke briefly about the mindset that is captured by and dominated by the Spirit of God controlling the mind of our spirit, thereby enabling us to exercise the legitimate authority of Christ. But now I want to step back and talk about constitutions of power, which is to say that there has to be, and I want to pick up a term I introduced in the earlier Uh, presentation, the term basilica, a foundation or basis of power and rule. That is endemic. It underlies every kingdom, the existence of every kingdom. Let me take a moment and, and explain this to you in contemporary terms. But my intent is to show from where the constitution of power has been derived as it relates to the kingdom of heaven, and further to say that any delegate, anyone demonstrating the power of the kingdom of heaven, must be in abject submission to the king. I repeat, must be in abject submission to the king. No independence from the mindset of the king. This will empty out into a discussion of faith and the work of belief that God has sent. Because these, you see, these concepts lead to a culture. And it's this culture that has been lost. And it's this culture that has been thwarted by persons who desire to have 
the demonstrations of sovereign power with no intentions of submitting to that rule and that authority of the king that will change their culture, that will change their mindsets. Culture, you see, is the filter through which we evaluate everything. You cannot have the culture of independence. You cannot have the culture that promotes the individual as sovereign and also be a representation of Christ. You cannot. It is impossible. When that comes about, you will seek an alternative of power, whether it's the consent of the governed or the existing power of a state or however you align yourself, and you will be intrinsically false. But that's down the road. Uh, Eventually, I want to also in this series talk about how this power is effective in engaging the enemy. And I want to entirely redefine the armor of God as found in Romans, uh, in Ephesians, the, the sixth chapter. But that's, you can see that I'm on a trend to go into the very heart of unexplored country. But back to the notion of basilica. How is power constituted? By, by way of examples, let me speak of how the constitution of power has been formulated or constituted in the familiar venue of nations. Kingdoms is another word. Nations and kingdoms. Kingdoms may include multiple nations, but every independent nation, every nation truly independent, um, is a uh, has a sovereignty of its own. In the United States, we used to belong first to the British Empire. And um, some of the founding fathers, some of the persons before they were founding fathers, decided that King George it was George V of England, was a tyrant and was taxing without allowing their voices to be heard in the British, in the circles of British governance. So a revolution was engaged. Once uh, the war of independence resulted in the overthrow of British rule, the question was, what is the basis of our sovereignty? Now, prior to the war, and perhaps the first act of war, was a convention of the states that formed a constitution, a constitutional convention. At the heart of this convention was the question of the source of power. If the king, who was the source of authority and power, were overthrown by, if the the king's authority were to be rejected, what would be the authority that would replace it? And 
the answer was that the authority should arise from the consent of the governed. Words that are terms of art. Because all of the people could not be called together every time a decision needed to be made. So decision was made that the people, based upon certain geographic and political definitions, would send representatives to a central government. This was spelled out in the agreements that formed this constitution of power. The idea was that the people are the sovereign, therefore they possessed and possess the greatest bundle of rights. These rights were said to have been granted to individuals by, quote, by their creator. And these rights were said to be inalienable. The term simply means you can't alienate or give away these rights. Law uh, and uh, political functionings could never be presumed to take these rights away because the basis of these rights were conferred by the nature of being, which is to say, in those days, when those Americans, or those founding fathers, still believed in the existence of a divine deity, uh, a transcendent God, who was also creator, uh, their, their view was that these are rights that are endemic to the creature. Of course, since that time, uh, we don't necessarily have unanimity of belief within the present population of the United States concerning those things, which of course is problematic to the issues of value and to the issue of culture itself. And in fact, that is what is being played out because the sovereign, the people, in order to secure for themselves certain basic freedoms, which were considered fundamental, uh, formed, gave up portions of their rights to form a government that would be representative of the people and accountable uh, to the people. <clears throat> the, in the famous words of Abraham Lincoln, government of the people, by the people, and for the people in his famous uh, uh, address. So, the people remain the sovereign. There's an acknowledgement, there was an acknowledgement at that time, that the people could be the sovereign because they were possessors of certain inalienable rights, rights that could not be given away or ever presumed, or they might ever be presumed to be separated from these rights. The resulting arrangement of this power given up out of this bundle of rights 
that the citizen is said to have by the prerogative of creator and by the nature of being was to be administrated through various forms. Three forms were evolved and in a sense sovereignty was bifurcated into three components. One that formed the law to determine what how, how, the, how the sovereign himself would be governed, namely how the people would be governed. And, and that was called the legislative branch, the branch that would legislate, which would make legal. Legis is from the root word law or legal. Uh, the Latin word is lex. Uh, and the notion uh, proposed by actually a British jurist um, uh, was the term lex rex, where the law is king, because it was what represented the will of the people. So there was the, the body that formed law, and it was comprised of two chambers, one that was elected to a shorter term, another that was elected to a longer term. Uh, the shorter term was called the House of Representatives, the longer term called the Senate. Once law is created, uh, it had to be administrated. So a, a, a ruling body that was headed by a chief executive was established. And that chief executive was called the power, the president, whose job is to uh, uphold the law and the constitution of the United States in executive fashion, which is functionary. The idea that it, the law has to be executed, the law has to be uh, administrated, so an administrative branch headed by an executive uh, was part of this sovereignty. And answering the question of overreach, whether or not the executive uh, would be accountable to the law, the question was, who would decide? Would the executive decide if the law, if he was properly following the law, or would the Congress decide uh, that this was or was not their original intent? So a judiciary branch was formed. Again, the, the term judicial um, coming out of uh, law uh, speaks of juridical process which holds uh, the executive accountable and also which decides in the case that the executive might appeal from uh, the interpretation of law whether or not the Congress acted properly within the scope of the authority that the people gave to them. So the, the Supreme Court or the court system, the, the judiciary, headed by the Supreme Court with a chief justice, um, had the authority to decide whether or not the Congress had acted properly in formulating law according to that grant of authority that the people had given to it. So that's the anatomy of the constitution of power. It's the outline of it. Obviously, as 
the decades rolled by, the centuries rolled by, for this that was formed in one period of time to continue to be representational of the people's sovereignty, it had to be an evolving union. Now, So the people set out what they wanted uh, for their sovereignty to promote within the domain called the United States. And they elected three things. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, many believers do not understand. They assume and they talk about, and certain of their preachers have promoted the notion that America is a Christian nation. It never has been. It never has been. It couldn't be. You know why? Because God was never the acknowledged sovereign. And the law is not the Bible. Now it permits the individuals as citizens to hold beliefs in God, to hold beliefs in the Lord Jesus Christ, to hold beliefs in the Holy Spirit, and to hold beliefs in the Scriptures. The law certainly permits that. But certain ones have thought, if we could influence the law to adopt the positions of Scripture, then we could have a Christian nation. (laughs) That is bogus. I don't know how else to say it um, more emphatically. Because until the nation's sovereign ceases to be the people and starts to be Christ the King, we cannot presume in any way, in any manner, in any form that this is synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. And if it were, the goal of its sovereignty would not be the promotion of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Because whatever sovereignty exists, when it is given the form of law, it is to promote the ideals of its sovereign. Every kingdom, every nation, exists to put on display the nature of its sovereign. So with we the people as the sovereign, we the people have decided that within the domain subject to our sovereignty, we will promote three things. Life. That's why we have debates about when life begins. And for the Christian, life is uh, has divine purposes. For the non-Christian, life is as exists from the point where you're born to the point where you die. And law, they argue, should govern what happens when you're born to the time you die. 
It's the Christian idea. It's the, it's a notion of the kingdom of heaven idea that you have purpose before you are born. That's not a secular idea. That doesn't come from the sovereignty of the people as sovereign. Even if the individuals believe that, what, what constitutes sovereignty ultimately, functional sovereignty within the United States is the majority of the people. Because it's the majority of the people who elect representatives to formulate law. The people we send to the Congress as US, uh, uh, as our representatives aren't sent as representatives of God or the kingdom of God. They're sent as representatives of the people. And we keep being shocked, Christians keep being shocked when they vote the will of the people. The problem is we look up to certain ones of them because they know how to manipulate the population to get them to vote for them. And Christians are among the most gullible of constituents because these politicians will tell them, oh yeah, we will introduce this or that law based upon their beliefs as believers. When the truth is they will only introduce law that does not jeopardize their re-election because without being in office, they have nothing. We keep buying, we keep losing money on the instant replay as the joke goes. We keep sending people uh, and talking about these people as if they're champions of the Christian faith. If they were, they would be apostles of the kingdom of God. They wouldn't be politicians. Where did we ever get the idea that the representatives of the people are also the representatives of the kingdom of God? That's to have a a, a truly Greek notion, which is is enshrined in the term vox populi, vox Deus. The voice of the people is the voice of God. That's blasphemous. You're speaking here of a theocracy where God is actually sovereign, not where the people are sovereign. I'm astonished at the, at the ignorance of God's people and how because of that ignorance, they keep chasing vain hope that in the political process, somehow the ways of God are going to be advanced. Look, we have our own kingdom. We have our own kingdom. And there is no question about when life begins within that kingdom. It's why we have debates about liberty. All the debates about gun rights are about liberty issues. All the debates about the pursuit of happiness that, that are, that are uh, uh, summed up in the debate over same-sex marriages, that's because that's some people's notion of happiness. And as, as the, in the environment, in the kingdom in which the people are sovereign, the people have a right to make these, to have these discussions and they have a right to make these decisions. But do not let us for one moment confuse these issues with the nature of the kingdom of God. Because the purpose of that kingdom 
is to put on display the nature of its sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. And his purpose was to show the Father. The kingdom of heaven is not about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's the kingdom of America. That's the kingdom governed by its own sovereign, the people. So they'll continue to have these discussions. And Christians are likely to continue to be duped into thinking that somehow they could co-opt a kingdom based upon a sovereignty that is not the sovereignty of Christ. And somehow by co-opting it, they could make it a kingdom responsive to Christ. In the process, they abandon altogether the existence of the kingdom of God. That's why most of the proponents of uh, uh, a politically Christianized nation do not believe that the kingdom of heaven presently exists. They're waiting for Christ to come back from heaven to bring the kingdom with him. They do not understand that he established his kingdom on the earth from the day of Pentecost onward. And that that basilica projects his power and rule and projects the basis of his sovereignty in the earth into and up to the present time and will continue until he's released from the heavens to come back to the earth and to continue his reign over all mankind, over every kingdom and every nation. This is the great prophecy of Daniel, the second chapter. In the days of these kings, the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. It'll break in pieces, it'll break into pieces and it'll consume all other kingdoms and it will stand forever. It is the enduring kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, but its mandate is is integrated with and, and central to its prime purpose, the revealing of the nature of the sovereign king, who in turn took on the responsibility to present the nature of the invisible father. Look, as believers, members of the kingdom of heaven, we're not here to pursue our own lives. We died and our lives are now hidden with God in Christ. We're not here to pursue our own liberty, for if the sun sets us free, we're free indeed. And we're not here to pursue happiness. We are here to manifest the joy of his eternal existence within us. In the next broadcast, I want to get further into this notion of delegated authority and the concepts of power and rule. And then beyond that, I want to talk about the the culture that results from the existence of this kingdom. And further after that, I want to talk about the opposition that comes against the kingdom and how our place in the kingdom of God allows us to successfully demonstrate the sovereign power of the Lord to overthrow the rule of Satan which has kept men in captivity and in blindness all of their lives. I'm Sam Solon. 
I hope you'll continue to listen and join me in these discussions. God bless you. Bye-bye.